One of the biggest challenges in being here and enjoying entering into worship through song is to remember, okay, Stephen, you have to get up and talk afterwards. So if you lose your voice on Hymn of the Ages, it's going to be a bit awkward. It's been a blessing these last several weeks, not uh, preaching in other churches, to be able to just be here and sit with you and stand with you in worship to enjoy the fellowship and to hear the preaching of the word. I appreciated very much Clyde's message last week, and I realized afterwards that in all the time speaking, I've never preached a Mother's Day message, so now I have a template for one. So thank you, Clyde. I also very much appreciated John Wells' message two weeks ago. If you were here, you remember his message looking at what are those things that we pursue and particularly looking at the parable of the sower in Mark 4. And as often happens, when you hear a message and you're sitting there and you're going, oh, yeah, that's good, well presented, good message, then immediately, of course, afterwards you have to apply it because the world, the flesh, and the devil smacks you in the head. And that was, has been my experience over the last two weeks. If you may remember, in John's message looking at Mark chapter 4 with the parable of the sower, we looked at the, the four soils, in particular, soil number three, which is the soil where the seed is planted and the plant starts to grow and then the weeds come up and it begins to choke it. And as Jesus explains that parable, he talks about three, three things, three weeds. And it was the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, of riches, and lusts of many kinds. And I find often we as, as believers in Christ, as followers in Christ, we, we try to be conscious of the deceitfulness of riches. We try to guard against those lusts of many kinds. But that first one, the worries of this life, that one, it's a strong weed. It creeps in at the moments when we least expect it, and it begins to take hold. In our house, we have in our kitchen uh, experiment in botany where we have those who enjoy growing plants and, and we've started to grow a particular bean plant inside. And first it was this tall and then it was this tall and then there was wires stretched around so it could thread up and now it's, you know, I think the plan is for it to encircle the kitchen. But one of the things that catches me is every day I look at this plant and it's twisted a little further and it's wrapped on, grabbed onto something else. And I'm thinking about that as different things have come up this, over these past two weeks, those worries that curl in. Maybe they're big worries. They're looking at what's happening in the world kind of worries and going, there, there seems to be a, a greater move where evil is being declared good and good is being declared evil. And we go, what's happening? What does this mean? What does it mean for, for people? What does it mean for culture? And, and, and we begin to, it sort of threads into our minds. Or maybe it's the more practical worries like, you know, too many bills and not enough budget. Or maybe it's those things. Maybe it's relationship worries. Maybe it's, it's other struggles that are just gnawing at us in those moments when we're there alone in the dark and we wake up and that weed is beginning to squeeze. And then we look at 
how God addresses this. Because that third soil, it appears that those were people who were, who were believers, but were entangled and weren't producing fruit. So if it's something that can affect believers, then obviously Scripture must speak about it. And Scripture does. It speaks about this thing called prayer, which we're going to look at this morning. Before we look into the Word, let's pray together. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you are the Lord and there is none other. We thank you that you are holy and righteous, that you are just, that you are perfect in all your ways. Lord, we praise you that you are loving, merciful, and compassionate, and none of these character traits are in opposition to each other. Lord, we praise you, for you are the creator and sustainer of all things, and you hold all things together by the word of your power. Lord, we praise you that nothing is too hard for you. Lord, we praise you, because when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you provided a way for us to be redeemed. That at the right time, you sent your Son. Lord, we praise you for Jesus Christ, for his willing sacrifice for sin, for his power and victory over the grave, so that whoever believes in him will not be condemned. Lord, we praise you for your church, of which your Son is the undisputed head which you started 2,000 years ago and the gates of hell have not triumphed against it. Lord, we praise you for your word which you have given us and for your spirit that inhabits every believer. Lord, we pray now that your spirit would be at work. Remove the distractions from us, Lord. Give us, as always, eyes to see and ears to hear, minds to understand and most of all, hearts to be changed for your glory and yours alone. In Jesus Christ, amen. If you'd open up in your Bibles, please, first to the little book of Philippians. We're going to look at several passages this morning, but we're going to start in Philippians to a passage that may be familiar to some. It answers that question, what do we do with the worries of this life? What do we do with those things that come and grab hold of us because they happen all the time? And they seem to be growing. When you talk to professionals in schools, what used to be a university problem, which was anxiety about life, and then became a high school problem, and then became somewhat a junior high problem, has now reached the point where it's being talked about as a preschool problem that children aged three and four are showing signs of anxiety because of life, because of the things they're experiencing, the things that they're wrestling with. Some of it is because they see it modeled at home. Dad's anxious, mom's anxious, older siblings are anxious, I'm anxious too. Maybe my anxiety is about, you know, which stuffy I should give more attention to, but still that anxiety is there. And then we hear what the Lord says through Paul to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 4.
in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. And you want to start, excuse me? Do not be anxious about anything. No thing. So it's like, okay, I can see not being anxious about these things, but what about these things? I can see not being anxious about what's happening on the other side of the world, out of my control, but what about the things that are happening in my neighborhood, in my house, in my head? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So what is the response to the worries of this life? The response to the worries of this life are stop worrying about them and bring them to God. Stop worrying about them, but bring them to God. But notice what comes next. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, what happens when we gain the understanding of our need to bring things to the Lord, and we begin to bring things to the Lord, and we begin to understand that He is sovereign over all things, that He is the one in control, then that begins to change our minds. That begins to change us. So suddenly, recognizing that the things that are out of my control are not out of control of the God of the universe then I begin to have peace. We begin to think like little children of yesteryear, if not today. I can remember when my children were very young, and I'm not going to use any specific anecdotes so as to embarrass them, but it used to amaze me the incredible level of general peace of which they went through life. Why? Because we looked after them. They did not worry about how they were going to be fed because we fed them. They didn't worry about how to deal with, with the various ups and downs of life. They would get out of bed. Ah, it's a new day. And they would go through the new day. They'd come downstairs. There would be food. They'd eat it. They'd go and they'd play because there would be freedom to play. Oh, they soiled themselves. That'd be looked after. And then at the end of the day, it's like, I am fatigued, and now I will fall into restful sleep. <laughs> and you'd see them sleeping, sprawled out over their bed in total relaxation. Well, you're like curled up in the fetal position wondering how you're going to cope with tomorrow. Why? Because as far as they were concerned, they could live at peace because mommy and daddy loved them and cared for them. That is the relationship that our Father in Heaven wants for those who know Him through Jesus Christ. To gain that understanding, it doesn't say bring all your prayers and petitions to Him and He'll answer them all exactly the way you want. He doesn't say that. He says, bring them to me. And in that discourse that will begin to happen between us, you will grow in your knowledge of me. And as you grow in your knowledge and fellowship of me, you will begin to have greater peace. And it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard against the weeds that creep in. It will guard against them. 
prayer has been described as the gift of God. But sometimes we go, but prayer is, you know, it's, it's, it's so passive. It's a passive thing. And don't you know, there's, there's big issues in life. There's things that have to be dealt with. It's time we got out there. We organized. We strategized. We did these things. And yes, we are in a struggle. Scripture tells us that we are actually in a battle. If you turn over to Ephesians chapter 6, it describes this for us. To another familiar passage, starting in verse 10, as he writes to the church at Ephesus, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled about your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, so he describes who do we really wrestle against, who is really at us. It is a spiritual battle, not a physical one. When we see things happening in this world, no matter how horrendous they may be, we need to understand that what is happening is not there is this person or this individual or this group that's against us or against me. It is those enslaved people being controlled by the world, the flesh, and the devil being made to do these things. So he says that's who we fight against. He describes how we are equipped. But then it comes to now the action. And notice the action in verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And then to go personally for Paul, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. What is the action, first action of those who are followers of Christ in the world in which we live? Pray. 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 Pray, then preach. Pray, then share. Pray, then stand on principle. Pray and show integrity. Pray. And of these things, it is the hardest for us to do. Anybody wonder why? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm so glad you asked. 
because unlike other things, other activities, you can study, study the word, study it, study it, study it, memorize it. You can practice other disciplines. You can learn how to share your faith. You can do these things, but there is something in prayer which is in direct opposition to our old nature because prayer, genuine, honest prayer is the admission that I am unable and that he is able. Prayer by its nature is an act of submission. And everything in our self, in our flesh, is at war with that. So we will struggle and struggle and try to do all these things when finally nothing else works. Like, ah, guess it's time to pray. There's nothing else. And you think about that, we laugh about it, like, what an absolutely ridiculous thing. How many of you have done that? Yes, we do. Because our flesh says, oh, no, no, you've got this. You can figure it out. There's a book for this. There's a podcast. There's something. You just need to do, and you can do this, or you just need to coordinate it better. And the Lord is there going, I'm here. Come fellowship with me. Come sit at my feet. And learn of me and see me work my will out in and through you. See me take situations that seem impossible and bring glory to myself as I work through them. See me reach the person who is unreachable. See me redeem, restore, renew. You see, the Lord is not our toolkit. It's like, here, I'm here. If you need it, break glass. Prayer time. That's not what he desires. And that's not what he'll do. So instead, he says, come to me. Come to me in your weakness. Come to me in your brokenness. Come to me. Come to me first and recognize your need for me. You need my salvation. You need what I accomplished on the cross for you. And then that becomes the beginning of an ongoing, growing relationship. First, I come to Christ because I can't save myself. And then I begin to grow in Christ and in prayer and in his word, I begin to understand him more and see him work and trust him more so that I become like that little child and that, like, oh, I wake up in the morning, Lord, this is day is yours. It's got to be yours. I need to trust you. You need to work things out. At the end of the day, day, the day was yours, Lord. And you go to sleep in peace. But there's the wrestle. There's the wrestle. And our flesh is always ready to point out. So you go to the Lord and you pray, Lord, I need this to happen. And a little weed creeps in the back of your head and says, the Lord's not going to do anything. You need to do something. Or the weed creeps in the back of your head and says, you know, the Lord isn't interested in hearing you because actually, you know, you've got issues in your life and he's not interested. Remember that last time you messed up? Even though you brought it to the Lord, you know, 
the Lord's knocked you down a few steps so he doesn't listen to you the same way he listens to other people. You know, there's that person at church, you know, that, that's so holy, you know, God's busy listening to them right now. So we need to recognize that when we come to God, that there is always a struggle. This is why prayer is often so difficult for us because it is a discipline where the Spirit of God is seeking to conform us into the Son of God and our old nature is trying to push Him out and nowhere else. We can sing and be full of self. We can sit and read and be full of self, but when it comes to prayer, things get hard, which is why it's so hard often to do. We sing songs like the old hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. And most of us go, sweet four minutes of prayer. So we need to look at what does prayer look like? You'll turn to Matthew chapter 6. We come to another very familiar passage where our Lord himself talks about prayer to his disciples. His disciples were told in the other gospel, that they came and asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples, because they knew there was something in prayer. Because they could have asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us to preach, because nobody preached like our Lord preached. Or teach. Lord, teach us to teach like you, but they didn't. They could have said, Lord, teach us to heal like you do, but they didn't. The only request that we see presented in the Gospels is the disciples coming and saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And so in Matthew 6, we have a picture as Jesus begins to instruct them to pray. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now what Jesus is doing is he's giving them a pattern for prayer. And there's a lot in this little passage. He begins by having them recognize who they're talking to. So it begins with our Father in heaven. Our Father. That is, in any culture, has significance, but in Jewish culture, that was a huge term. Because in Jewish culture of the day, the Father was the single recognized head of the family. The success of the family was seen to fall on the father. The spiritual education of the family was the father's responsibility. The care and provision for the family was the father's responsibility. He, in effect, ruled the house. He also, at periods of time in Jewish culture, he held legal power of life and death over his children. So when Jesus says, this is how you approach God, you view him as your father. That, for the hearers, was a huge thing. It wasn't someone distant. It was someone who had the responsibility of care for them. 
Now it's important, Jesus is not implying that every human being has God as their father, because scripture talks about that. Jesus at one point, in talking with the Pharisees, when they're talking about who their father is, Jesus says, your father is the devil. It was an awkward conversation. This relationship of father is a gift bestowed upon every person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. We are at first aliens separated from God when we put our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, recognizing I can't save myself, I'm separated from God, I'm dead in my sins, but Jesus Christ on the cross paid the penalty for sin and I put my trust in him and him alone to redeem me and save me of my sin and I will follow him. When I put my trust in him, God becomes my father. I become a joint heir with Christ. So for us, we need to see that's how we approach him as someone who genuinely cares for us. Jesus says in another passage when he's talking to the disciples, if, you're, if a, you go to your father and you ask for bread, does he give you a stone? No, of course not. You know that your father cares for you even in broken human context. But he says more than this. He says, our father, which is relational, then he says, in heaven, which is position. Because that's the other part we need to recognize. God is our father. He also rules the heavens. Sits on the throne. Because maybe in our relationship, in our human context, and maybe sometimes when we come to our fathers, humanly speaking, and we're kind of flippant with them sort of a, sometimes can become a bit of a teenage problem. You know, Dad, you owe me something. Come on, Dad, I haven't got much time. You know, you're slowing down here. God is our Father. He is also Lord Supreme. We bend the knee to Him. We submit to Him. We acknowledge Him. And that's important when we enter into prayer. I think it's valuable when we enter into prayer to begin prayer with recognition of who we're talking to. I'm saying, you are the Lord and are worthy of praise. Which then we move into the next part of this passage. Once Jesus presents the recognition of who we're talking to in prayer, he then goes into adoration. Hallowed, holy be your name. This is the positive answer to the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. When we enter into prayer to God, we recognize that he is holy and worthy to be praised. This is important because this helps us put life in perspective. You know, maybe I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. It's like, Lord, I can't pay the bills. Um, Lord, I can't figure out my relationships. Lord, I want to hit my boss with a truck. Lord, I don't understand what's going on in the United States. I don't understand what's going on in Canada. I definitely don't understand what's going on in other parts of the world. And then I stop and I pray and it's like I'm coming in there with all this. Oh, I don't know what all this stuff is going on. It's all making no sense. It's all confusing me. And but Lord, you reign in the heavens. You have said you make your plans and they are never thwarted. No one stands against you in triumphs. And immediately things begin to change in me, 
because I begin to recognize who He is. And one of the cures to human anxiety is worship and adoration to the King. We then move from adoration to submission, which is where the struggle lies. Your will be done, your kingdom come. On earth as it is in heaven. We read the, the powerful passages we see in Revelation where God, we get that glimpse of him through the writing of John, God in his glory reigning, drawing all things together. And realize that I need to submit to him. And that's hard because sometimes it's like, God, I need this. Just give me this. This will make everything perfect. And the God of the universe says, no. And that tears us apart. Ironically, if we step back, if we're parents or grandparents and think to that journey, it actually makes a fair bit of sense. It's like when your child comes up to you and says, hey, Dad, can I drive the car? And he's six. <laughs> and you say no. And he says, but I know how. You say no. I'll just take it down the street. You say no. Are you serious? You're not going to? No. And he storms off, and you're the worst dad on the planet. But you realize, of course, as a sensible human being, that a six-year-old in an automobile is a bad thing. And that's where passages like, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are not your ways, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts to your thoughts and my ways to your ways, to recognize that the God who knows all things, who has created all things, who understands the hearts of man, who knows the plan he has for me, whose greatest desire is that I and you come into a closer fellowship with him. That's God's greatest desire. His greatest desire is not to see you get that job or to get that situation or have these conflicts iron themselves out smoothly. His greatest desire is to grow us in a communion with him and he will do what is necessary to accomplish that. And sometimes it's hard. George Mueller missionary to orphans in England who had a tremendous ministry of testimony through prayer talks about the point when his son was born and his son was, was his whole world. He was so thankful to have a son and then his son became ill and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and his son died. And there were some people who came and said, George, didn't you pray? Because everything it seemed George Mueller prayed for happened. He goes, didn't you pray? And George said, I prayed. And sometimes the Lord graciously says yes. And sometimes the Lord graciously says no. And he said, the Lord answered my prayer. His will be done. 
Then we come to petition, which is usually the main thing that drives us to prayer. It's the things. Give us today our daily bread. In recognition of who God is, in adoring Him and submitting to His will, then I bring my requests. Then we bring our requests like praying that that Clyde's kidney stone would be sensible and simply depart. We pray about those, the practical things. We pray about our families. We pray about those who are far from the gospel. We pray for governments. We pray against evil progressing in the world. We bring those things to him. And we leave them at the feet of his throne. Hudson Taylor, pioneer missionary to China, made the statement one of his greatest revelations was realizing that the responsibility for his work in China wasn't his, it was the Lord's. And he said, once I realized it was the Lord's responsibility, I was just called to be faithful. All of a sudden, all this anxiety was taken off his shoulders because he thought it was his responsibility to win China for Christ. It was the Lord Almighty's responsibility. He was just called to be faithful and what the Lord moved him daily to do. And then we come to the last part. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the part of prayer which is transformation. So we had recognition, adoration, submission, petition, and now we come to transformation. Because as we commune with God, as I spend time in prayer with God, God begins to reveal things to me. Because remember, as I said, it is God's desire to bring me into a closer relationship with Him. And in that, He's going to begin to look at aspects of my life. And through His Spirit and through His Word, oftentimes in prayer we'll be praying and suddenly the Lord will go, remember so-and-so? You and so-and-so, you've got stuff. Time to go deal with so-and-so. There's some uh, repenting that's necessary. And it's like, no, Lord, I'm just praying through this right now. And it's like, yep, so-and-so. So-and-so, 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 so-and-so. Well, we have this line of communication open, so-and-so. And I can remember once a brother saying, I find it hard to pray. And he said, I asked him why. And he said, because every time I pray, all these things that I have to deal with come up. It's like, ta-da. That's the part of transformation. Because as we begin to have that communication with God, then He is going to begin doing the work He desires to do. He hears our petitions. He is working through them. But He is desiring to transform us. To make us more into the image of His own dear Son. To give us victory over those constant sins as we submit to Him. To have us reflect the love of Christ in this dark world where we shine as lights. To speak the truth in love. Transformation. So it's easy to say, then comes the struggle to do pray because even as I say this and even as you nod assent there is your flesh inside going we're going to get rid of this really soon time to fill up the schedule whether you gather privately gather privately that's an introvert thing 
whether you pray privately or you pray in a group. We need to pray. It is important to point out, and it is probably even the greater struggle, speaking as an introvert, that most examples of prayer in the New Testament church are corporate, not individual. They're corporate, not individual. That there is power when the body of Christ gathers to pray. There are still lots of times, because you're supposed to pray without ceasing, where you can pray all on your lonesome, but there's something about praying together. One of the things it does, it is very difficult to pray with a brother or sister of which you have issues. Because when the Holy Spirit starts poking you then, they're sitting across from you. And it also becomes a way to build one another up. So as I pray and my brother prays, now we're both praying for the same things. We're on the same page. It's also a huge testimony as we grow in our faith. One of the blessings that I had was being required to go to prayer meeting here, downstairs, when I was a teenager. And I can remember the first time going, and I came, and we all met upstairs, and then the men went downstairs. And I was like, okay, where do we go? And I was taken by the arm and brought into a room of which I was the youngest man in the room by 20 years. And we sat around the table and we started to pray. I use we simply because I was in the room because I was scared spitless. And I can remember we started to pray around the circle. And as it got around to me, I was experiencing anxiety like nobody's business. And then this brother prayed and as soon as he said amen, the brother on the other side of me started. And they just prayed. Because they knew, simply by my physical appearance, that I would have a heart attack rather than pray at that moment. But I sat with the men and I heard them pray. I heard men pray for one another. I saw men shed tears at the table for sins they needed to confess. I saw men pray for other men. And that was a blessing to my soul to see that happen. So I encourage you to pray together. Now one of the challenges too is, with this I close, is that people will say we don't need it. Well, first of all, open your eyes. We need it. We need it individually. We need it because people all around us don't yet know Jesus Christ who are living in darkness and don't experience the freedom that comes from salvation and life in him. We need it because evil is being presented as good and good is being presented as evil. And the only thing that's going to change hearts and minds is the transformation brought about by the gospel of Jesus Christ, not by arguing and debating. And we start by gathering to pray to pray for our homes, for our city, to pray for our province, to pray for our nation. And that's the other beauty of prayer. Prayer is not dependent on the strength of the petitioner. It's dependent on the power of the one being petitioned. So my prayers can be feeble and weak, but the Spirit of the living God at work in me is bringing those petitions to the one who holds all things together and who will accomplish his will to his glory in Jesus Christ.
So let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we come to you. We thank you that through Jesus Christ, anyone here who has put their trust in his accomplishment on the cross can call you Father. Your word tells us we can call you Daddy, Abba, like a small child cries out to the parent who he or she trusts. And Lord, even though our human father examples at times may not have been good, you are perfect, loving and compassionate, just and righteous. And you give us every good thing, not the things we want, but the good things. Lord, we come to you recognizing that it is your will that none should perish and that everyone should come to repentance. We come to you asking you to give us boldness and the words to say, to give a reasonable answer for the hope that lies within us so that people can hear the good news. Lord, we come to you and we pray for our city. We pray for those who administrate it. Lord, we pray that you would draw them to yourselves, that you would give them wisdom beyond themselves and their decisions. Lord, we pray the same for our province and for our nation. For we, Lord, we know that our arguments do not change things. Only you change hearts. Only you sway the mind of kings. Lord, we pray for our communities and for the brokenness in it that the love of Christ can overcome. Lord, we pray around the world. We think of our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and Burkina Faso and Mali and in so many more countries. We think of what's happening in China and North Korea and Vietnam, what's happening through the Middle East. Lord, we may be here that our petitions rise to you and we can pray for our brothers and sisters. So Lord, move us to pray for the gospel to go forth in power, for you to be the strength to every believer in all circumstances. Lord, we pray for this body gathered here. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being the family of God. But we pray that you are working, that you will sustain our elders that you will equip them, that you will bless and strengthen them. Lord, we pray for our deacons, that you will walk with them, give them wisdom and strength. Lord, we pray for the body corporate. And Lord, I pray this morning for anyone who is sitting here who does not yet know Jesus Christ, who hasn't put their trust in him, who may have questions, Lord, that today they would seek answers to the questions that today they would know that Jesus Christ has come and has paid the penalty for their sins so that they can have you as their father, so that they can be declared righteous in your sight. Lord, you do this work. We bring this to you. We submit our wills to you for your glory in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you.